HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by EscapeMaker.com. Visit a farm. Escape through the net. Visit EscapeMaker.com for more. Hi, this is Celia Kutcher, host of Animal Instinct, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. All right. Hello and welcome back to the Heritage Radio Network coming to you as always live from the back of Roberta's Pizza here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It has been a while. You are tuned into the Farm Report. I, of course, am your host, Aaron Fairbanks. Uh, Every week uh, on air for the next season, we are going to be discussing numbers. Uh, That is the focus of our fall 2015 season And I am super excited to have my favorite numbers person join me in the studio for the kickoff episode, my good friend and Heritage Radio Network board member, Joanne Fleming. Hey, everybody. It's good to be back in the studio. I I guess I should say officially Joanne Flash Fleming. That's right. Um, Flash, uh, Joanne Flash Fleming actually had a show with us here on the Heritage Radio Network for um, a long time called Flash Talks Cash. And Joanne, where does the Flash nickname come from huh. uh so when i was young i used to do everything fast and they used to call me flesh and so that name really you know was my nickname but there was no email in those days so you know you really didn't get to use your nickname as much as you can now that you have email so <laughs> then it just it was perfect when email came out i was like all right i'm in flesh fleming flash fleming here we go well so i you might be wondering why i chose to um focus on numbers for this season and and, and what that means um you know the more i think about the content that we bring you each week on the farm report Um, I feel like my goal as a host has often been to try and put a sense of scale and scope on the conversation as it relates to food and food production and the kind of components of that along the production chain. And a big part of that is understanding how you quantify things. I think we've done a lot of work on the show looking at things from a qualitative standpoint. And I want to kind of shift gears a little bit and arm you listeners with some kind of key facts and figures that are going to help shape your understanding of the food system and kind of shape some of the discussion. And so before we tuck into kind of the way we're going to chunk out content, I want to get a little bit more background on Joanne so you guys can understand why I've asked her to join me, not just for this episode, but as a special guest throughout the fall season. So Joanne has over 25 years of accounting experience. Um, She is the head of Fleming and Associates CPA. She is a CVA, which is a certified value analyst. Uh, We're going to find out what that means in a minute. And a CFE, which is a certified fraud examiner. So Joanne, I know this seems like a funny spot to start, but like, what is a CPA? 
So it's all about numbers. Uh, you guys can read the words, and uh, that I get lost there. I had to read Moby Dick. It was terribly hard for me to read Moby Dick. But put a financial statement or a tax return in front of me. It's like a novel. So I uh, could do anything with numbers, and a CPA, it's a perfect fit. Because they, uh, you know, we, we, we can quantify everything. And uh, I deal with accounting, accounting and tax for people, businesses, people, anything, any, everybody. So that's what a CPA does. So, uh, you know, I know, like, I use a CPA really just, like, once a year. I'm like, hey, I need yeah, to do my me. taxes. Yeah, that's me. Let's, let's yeah. be clear here. She uses <laughs> me, okay? So, so um, you know, we kind of engage in that way kind of annually yes. around taxes. But yes. there's a lot of people who need to have yes. a CPA in their life on a more regular basis. Right. And so what are the types of things that you do for, mm-hmm. for clients or businesses mm-hmm. that have more complex finances than I do? Yeah. Well, yes. Uh, yours is a nice... A simple form to use, you know, to use an accountant. But yeah, a lot of small businesses, any size businesses, need an accountant to uh, do their reporting. Most people don't wake up and have that natural talent to just put the stuff in order so they can report it to the government, so they can report it to their shareholders. So we take their activity in their business and put it into the forms that are acceptable in the business world to read and understand. And we comply with all the, uh, the rules from the government and wherever else the agencies come from. So in a lot of ways, like, you know how to speak a language and you know the systems so you can kind of translate what I'm saying or what mm-hmm. I would say as a small business owner mm-hmm. into the proper, like, form and document to present it to somebody else. Yeah, we work with, uh, we work with the, the financial world. It's really the, fi- and you know, like I said, you, it's not a natural thing that everybody gets up and is capable of doing. So, you know, you, sometimes you need to go to the bank. Sometimes you need to work with some sort of an agency or whatever. There's a million things. Or sometimes you just need to make a decision and you don't know how to quantify it. And we help you, we'll help you put it, the numbers in place and then explain it to you. And so you'll see, ah, that makes sense now. Should I buy a car, lease a car? You know, that kind of a thing. That kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. well, and I guess I should say we also work together keeping the books for the Heritage Radio Network. And that is a, de- a space where I feel like I've definitely been learning a lot. And in the nonprofit world, there's a lot of kind of legal rules around what we can and can't do and, and how uh, we need to report on money and what our um, kind of um, reporting needs are for our donors, but also to the government. Yes, Yes, there's a, you know, each entity type has its own rules, you know, if you're a corporation or you're a non-for-profit and all the other other things. So we have to comply with the rules, the laws. And uh, by the way, just for clarity purposes, you've become a fine bookkeeper. Ah, so you can you. wear that wear that hat. So <laughs> she's the executive director and a fine bookkeeper. Yes, off air. Those are some of my glamorous tasks. Mm-hmm. Well, So you said that, you know, you can read numbers like a story. Mm. And I feel like I, for the longest time, felt like, well, if a number is a number, it's it's a truth. You can't kind of fudge things. You can't make different stories. But I feel like as I've gotten older and wiser, I've realized that you can tell stories with the numbers in the same way you can tell stories with words. Is that right? Sure. And there's different levels of understanding. Uh, in the numbers world that I live in, everything is, um, can. what's the word I'm trying to think of? Uh, they're interrelated. You can uh, define them in many different forms. When one thing happens, it affects another thing. Some people see it stronger. Some people don't see it. And uh, the interaction between the numbers is those percentages, that thing called percentages. And that's, you know, uh, that's the, the deeper level of the um, reading the numbers. It's not just, oh, I have $22 in the bank and, and, and I have bills of, you know, $4,000. It's the interaction of those accounts, how that affects underneath, uh, behind the scenes. Well, let's talk about some of these certifications. Uh, uh, CVA, Certified Value Analyst. It's Certified Valuation Analyst. And what it is, it's, uh, it's a, a certification I get because the number one question when you own a business is how much is my business worth? It's almost an impossible question to answer. So we go in there. We're uh, trained to go in there and try to quantify how much someone's business is worth and talk about never coming to one answer. It's 
totally subjective. Uh, it's based upon some theories and court cases, and uh, so it's we we're called in to do all sorts of analysis to determine whether you're getting a divorce or someone wants to sell their business, someone wants to buy a business, and the the numbers the numbers are are like I said never never uh, exact. So uh, that's what we do. We come in there and apply theory and court cases to, no, to our, our analysis. So that is like, let's say I'm a, a famous chef like, you know, Tom mm-hmm. Colicchio, for mm-hmm. example. Um, you know, obviously, if I own a restaurant, let's use Kraft as an example. Um, the, the restaurant has a certain value, you know, the, the, the lease or the ownership of the building or the plates or the equipment. But another big thing in a space like that is the value of like my, my like name, my reputation. Um, and that's like one of the things I want to talk about a little bit here because, um, uh, you know, in the news we, we saw this week, big news, uh, Purdue bought Nyman Ranch. Um, so Purdue, kind of one of the country's largest producers of of chicken and other types of poultry, definitely firmly in the commodity space. Uh, Nyman Ranch, the country's largest um, cooperative of farmers doing pasture-raised pork. Interesting story there that Bill Nyman, who started Nyman Ranch, actually has not been with the business for a number of years. And when he um, left that business, he, you know, the name stayed with the business. So I think there is some kind of like valuing of... A name and what that means, and is that something that you're? Yes. Yeah, that's called goodwill. Goodwill is the intangible value of an asset of a company. Uh, the branding, the name means something. Produce name means something. Even the underlying assets don't equal what the value of the company is. So, I mean, you can have you know can have a million dollars worth of hard assets, which means inventory, buildings, and and things like that. But the the business may be worth ten million dollars because the name Purdue has some sort of value and an automatic built-in customer uh, base and so forth. So those are the things. That's the thing you're talking about, goodwill. Uh, The better the reputation, the longer the company's been around. Those are not things that you can actually put your hands on, but those certainly have value in a business, for sure. So when we're looking at, um, you know, a business like Purdue, obviously, large-scale, been, like, super successful in in what they do. They see a trend in the market where consumers are interested in uh, livestock and poultry products that have um, a higher kind of animal welfare component. And if I'm wearing my, like, hopeful you know, rose-colored glasses, Aaron Fairbanks hat, I'm like, oh, great, you know, Purdue uh, purchased Nyman because they want to, you know, understand how do you kind of build a structure around producing sustainable meat and um, and um, being a, success- a successful business. And you're shaking your head in here. You're like, nah, I don't think that's what's going on yeah. here. You know, I read that article in the Times a few weeks ago, and then you, you brought it up again this week. I uh, recently read the book called, I think, The Meat Rack. The Meat Rack, The yeah. Meat Rack, which is just the same thing. It's about Tyson Foods as opposed to Purdue. Now, from just my experience of reading that book and how business generally works, I can't say specifically, I read that and I'm like, there's no way that Purdue is going to transform and become the Nyman way of doing things. No, Purdue is going to chickenize that in that new business they just bought. They, need, they they only buy for one thing. They see that there's got to be money to be made there. And how are they going to make money? They're going to do it the old-fashioned way, the way the guys have been doing it, and really weren't making money. If you read the article, these uh, private equity guys hadn't really made any money doing it with the high-end, uh, you know, quality kind of uh, factory a factory for this for this meat. So why would Purdue go in and buy a, a company that's not making money? No, 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 no. So my opinion, and it's just me, Frank didn't call me, he doesn't tell me, but my <laughs> opinion is, you know, they're going to come in and they're going to take the Purdue way and destroy a business that was trying to improve the industry and they're going to deprove the what's the word De- devolve the that that nice company into a lousy company that's the corporate way it's unfortunate well so i'm a little cynical <laughs> yeah, on that. i was like think- i'm a little cynical on that well one. it's like and it is one of the type of things that i think we'll continue to talk about over the course of um this season is like how do we kind of become the, the whole goal i think the whole purpose in in my opinion of like listening to your show like the farm report is to give yourself the tools to be a more kind of can um 
Oh, critical consumer, a critical consumer of media, a critical mm-hmm. consumer of the food you're putting in your fridge, on your plate, eating out at restaurants. Um, my goal is really to arm you with information to make a choice that best reflects, you know, your values and the options in front of you at any given moment in time. Mm. Um, well, what about certified fraud examiner? Oh. What's that? So that's a forensic accountant. So uh, it's it's uh, I investigate white collar crime. I get called in generally through lawyers who are working on a case, whether they and a police stole money or again a divorce where the the spouse is accusing the other spouse. So you have way more money. You're hiding it. You have a cash business. So, so you know I go into those small kinds of cases. Xerox doesn't call me to try to uncover any fraud. I get the little guys. And I go in and examine the books. Uh, I'm looking for something specific generally. And um, then I try to find problems. It's not so hard to find problems. There are problems in everybody's books. Every company suffers from some sort of theft or uh, some sort of fraud. And uh, it's it's flagrant. It's flagrant in America. I don't know anywhere else. I'm sure it's worse in other countries. Uh, so that's what I do. I go in and I, and then I come to testify. I write reports and I testify in court if it gets to court. And it's all very glamorous. Yes. Like CSI, you know. <laughs> well, I, I just wanted to kind of touch base on some of those certifications, um, mostly in the effort to say like, hey, guys, I picked a winner here. This is a woman we can trust and is going to be bringing us lots of good information throughout the season. Um, before we kind of jump into some of the topic areas that we're going to be focusing on a little bit more this fall, I want to kind of try to get a little sense of, OK, when we say numbers, we can't lump all those things into kind of one pile. I mean, we had this discussion last week that. You know, you're an accountant. That's your background. You understand the things from a financial perspective, um, but that's not an economic perspective. So, what's what's the difference? Yeah. Um, so, an economist they deal with numbers too, but if, if it's just my opinion, I think they deal more with policy and politics, and they want to have laws implemented. In my world, we kind of comply with the laws. We try. To, my my goal, the, uh, not my goal, but my, the main purpose of my is about money, uh, how people can make money or, or spend their money and comply with the, the rules, such as the tax rules. The the economists, they're not really they're they're the big thinkers. You know, they think about uh, how certain things affect. Generally speaking, the whole economy, the policy makers in Washington and. And they do small studies and how this affects small groups of people. But, uh, you know, they don't get down into the nuts and bolts and apply those laws that they want to implement and, and, and make them, uh, you know, put them on pen, paper and pencil and we have to pay the bills or cut the checks or whatever we have to do with that. So if I'm thinking about it, like from uh, types of jobs that people do, um, if I'm opening the business section and I'm kind of like reading about stuff, often I'm going to be reading about things that were written by or in, economists are consulted for the piece and the kind of like hard numbers, facts and figures are going to be things that I'm getting from financial reports that someone in like your position would have produced. Yeah, I would think the economists would speak more to the industry as a broad spectrum or the or the policy or the the, ta- the rules, the laws that are in, in, are in place if you want to open a restaurant or things like that. And then we got to come in, the financial people have to come in and figure out how you're going to get a loan to launch this company, how you're going to pay your employees and what and what you're going to do at the end when you pay yourself and pay and pay taxes on profits. That's kind of where we go. So one of the other things I'm sure that comes up working as an accountant is people are very sensitive about money. Uh, It's a very emotional topic. It's very tied to uh, like self-worth, success, you know, personal kind of like values and, and measurements. And I'm wondering how that type of emotional kind of like support and know how works its way into your job. Well, I have to say, after 25 years of sitting across the desk from hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people to talk about their money, I've come down to there's probably five basic money personalities. This is totally my own opinion, and it's definitely tied into self-esteem, confidence, lack of confidence, lack of self-esteem, and it doesn't necessarily have to do with how much money you have or don't have. It's really, uh, I feel like I was a therapist half the time helping people through their childhood issues, their marital issues, and, you know, their adult growing up issues. It's fascinating. Um, 
Did that answer your question? Was that your question? Yeah, well, no. Oh. I mean, I think mostly, like, the, the reason I touch on that is because I feel like one of the reasons I also decided to focus on um, kind of numbers and getting a better understanding of facts and figures this season is because it is a place that I personally don't feel as mm. strong in. Uh, you know, I remember I was playing this uh, game called Wits and Wagers with some of my friends, and it's a game a, a lot about kind of guessing numbers and units of measurement and you know, I was so far off <laughs> so much of the time that like I wasn't even on in the same realm mm. of correctness. And I do think when we're talking about food, when we're talking about agriculture and food production, that unless you can kind of tie things back in a real way to something that is relatable to an individual person, it's really hard to wrap your number around like, you mm. know, Big topics. And so big topics are kind of what we're going to be talking about throughout the course of the season. I'm going to be focusing you guys in on four different areas. We're going to be talking about dairy and the dairy industry, um, focused primarily on the U.S. Um, also, we're going to be looking a lot at farmland, um, farmland and farmland conservation. We're going to be talking about the farm bill which uh, is daunting to me. Um, lots, of, lots of big numbers and policy info there, looking to kind of drill down on, on what we need to know and what we should be thinking about and how do we participate more actively in that conversation. And then finally, I think the big one that comes up so much in my day is feeding the world. Uh, I can't get through a day without hearing someone in my life say, how are we going to feed the world? You know, by 2050, we're going to have a population of 9 billion and what are we going to do then? So those are the kind of like big picture topics we're going to be jumping around in between throughout the course of the season. And we are going to take just a quick break now. But when we come back, we're going to start to explore some of the numbers that are going to help set the scene for the conversations we're going to be having all month. Hang tight. We'll be right back. Still paying attention? Are you there? Hello, 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 hello. I'm talking to you. Hi. Hey, this is Jack Inslee. I'm the executive producer here at Heritage Radio Network. I've been here at the station since 2009, and I cannot believe just how much this network has grown over that time. We've been able to grow because of donations from people like you. So if you're enjoying this, if you laughed, if you learned something, contribute anything. A dollar, two dollars, ten dollars, a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, anything counts. And trust me, we'll appreciate seeing your name come through on the donations. So consider visiting heritageradionetwork.org, click on that little beating heart, the donate button, and show us you care. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Visit a farm. Log on to escapemaker.com for more ideas on local weekend getaways and day trips, including orchards, farms, and wineries. Or come by Escape Maker's Yellow Tent in Grow NYC's Green Markets and pick up a guide to local agritourism escapes to the Green Market's own farmers and producers. The guide will be updated seasonally to feature farms, wineries, and destinations in New York City, New York State, New Jersey, Vermont, and Pennsylvania. Plus, Escape Maker will offer overnight packages to these destinations so you can get the full experience. No car? No problem. Escape Maker features plenty of ideas for car-free getaways, including discounts via Amtrak. There's no better time to explore outside the city. Soak up the fresh air and scenery like a butterfly and support your local farmer. Log on to escapemaker.com to get inspired and make your escape through the net. All right, we are back. You have tuned into the Farm Report on the Heritage Radio Network. I am in studio with Joanne Fleming, CPA extraordinaire and Heritage Radio Network board member. And we are talking about what you can expect from the Farm Report over the course of the fall season. And as I said, just before the break, we're going to be talking about four kind of different primary areas with an overarching focus on the numbers. So, Joanne, I want to play a little bit of a kind of a gamey thing with you, maybe put you on the spot a little bit. 
Um, I want to start kind of talking about some of the things that we'll be uh, learning more about at, throughout the course of this season. Um, we're going to start with dairy and the dairy industry. Um, you know, one of the reasons I decided to focus on dairy is because it, for so many years here in the U.S., has really been um, one of the primary areas of agriculture. The other thing is that dairy producers, um, and I'm talking specifically here about um, cow dairies, are, are major kind of consumers in a regional farming infrastructure. So they um, either grow or buy in a lot of food. They have a lot of equipment, tractors, combines, heavy machinery that you need to um, produce food, cart milk around, care for the cows. Uh, they often um, own a lot of land or own and lease a lot of land. And they support... Um, all the other kind of ag producers in a region because they help keep things in business. They keep the tractor supply company in business. They keep the feed store in business. They keep the large animal veterinarians in business. And that supports small-scale vegetable producers. That supports hog farmers. That supports chicken farmers. That supports local slaughterhouses. Uh, in many ways, when you look at the dairy industry, you're, you're getting an opportunity to look at a space that has a lot of ripple effects. So um, I thought it would be an interesting area for us to explore from that end. On the consumption end, I cannot help but notice, and I'm sure that you have noticed this too, Joanne, when you go into a grocery store and you go over to the milk section, it looks a little different than it used to. It's getting bigger. Bigger, lots of choices. Yeah, so what are some of the choices? Well, all the different kinds of milk, uh, the whole milk, the non-fat milk, all that stuff. And then there's the organic, and then there's the semi-organic. You know, they try to do a little bit. They put a little advertising <laughs> they on They put a package. happy cow on it. And then there's the, you know, the the cheap milk. And then there's all those other milk, like four billion styles of yogurt is that what you mean like well, ton, on tons of yogurt right. but i'm also there's like almond milk oh, yeah, coconut right, milk right 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 um so it's uh, cows yeah soy milk yeah. you know there's all different types of dairy products and so i think you have to have like a moment in front of that dairy cooler where you're like well man if i used to come here and just see one type of product and now i see you know that product doubled tripled quadrupled and you're kind of like what's happening to the the producers of these milk products. The other thing is that dairy shows up in a lot of different spaces in our life. There's the fluid milk that you buy a, a carton of. There's butter. There's yogurt. There's ice cream. There's cheese. Um, so much of the way we produce um, milk in this country um, finds its way into all these different niche areas. So I think it's a really nice way to talk about a lot of issues in agriculture um, by looking specifically at one industry. So I have a couple of pop quiz questions for you. I gotta be, I gotta be transparent. I have a little advantage. When I was a kid and we'd go in the car, we used to count the cows that we saw from the road, from the car. So, you know, if you ask me how many cows there are, I might not have the number. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, I am, I'm not going to ask you that. I am going to ask you to take your best guess at how many gallons of milk a standard dairy Holstein produces in a day. Oh, boy. What does this have to do? All right. I'm going to come up with a number. Uh, th those are the big guys, the black and white the guys. The black and white guys. Yeah, yep. we have one down the road for me. I'll say how many gallons does How many gallons? One cow, you one know, day. I went to Arethusa Farm with Saxelby, and I learned this. So I'm going to say 20 gallons. Six to seven gallons. Oh. <laughs> well, they were, they're, their cows were on steroids. <laughs> um, careful. That is yes. contentious. Those are fighting words in the milk uh, industry. I'm kidding. Um, well, okay, so getting just a sense of scale from a production standpoint, like you have All to right. feed and care for and raise a cow, right. one cow, to get six, six to seven, seven gallons right. of milk, mm -hmm. right? Um, on the opposite end of that, how many pounds of feed do you think a cow needs to eat a day to produce that much milk? To produce six or seven gallons, I'll say, I'm going to use my number again, 20 pounds of feed. 100 pounds of feed. <sighs> wow. Right? Yeah. How much is feed? Are you going to go to that? I think that is a topic we're definitely going to hit on. How wow. much is feed and, and what is feed? Especially here in the Northeast, um, it's really common for farmers to produce the bulk of what they're feeding their animals. Um, but that means that they have to have a huge amount of storage space because, as you know, living here, you know, half the year is not a growing season for us. So there's a mm. whole science around 
how much um, an animal eats and how to get the right nutrition mix to produce the mm -hmm. maximum amount of milk. And so those are some of the types of things that we're going to be talking into as it relates to that dairy conversation over the course of the next month. Wow. Switching gears a little bit, uh, I want to talk about farmland. Yeah, uh, This is like a, a real passion area for me. Um, I love the American Farmland Trust um, slogan. You know, it's like no farms, no food. Right. Pretty straightforward. Right. And what do you 100% need to have a farm is farmland. Um, really precious commodity. No one is tearing down strip malls to put up farms. Uh, if you're a new farmer, if you're looking to get into the business, it's often your biggest purchase. Um, you live, you know, you have a house up in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a farming area. Mm -hmm. When you were looking for a house, um, was there a difference between ag properties and non-ag properties? Sure. Or Sure. Yes. Uh, actually, uh, that farmland acreage is much cheaper than residential acreage. So, uh, but you know, I have a suggestion. If you really want to get cheap farmland, go to Detroit. They're giving it away for free. They're pretty cheap down there. Yeah, in the city. Urban, urban farms, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty inexpensive. Yes, farmland acreage is a little cheaper than residential, just straight up residential. And that's a tax issue. I mean, that is an accounting di differentiation, right? Issue. Well, you have to actually use the farmland to get the tax benefit. By the way, you know that I live, my house is a dairy barn. It was from 1850, so cows used to graze all over my property. And... Uh, I don't have any cows yet. Well, maybe after this season, I might go for it. I might go you. for it, yeah. Well, I would recommend a goat. It's good, good-sized animal. But I don't like goat cheese, and I don't like goat milk. Well, so. then maybe a sheep? A sheep? Oh, yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> I love cheese. Yeah. Uh, well, one of the uh, interesting things about, well, one of the interesting, one of the sad things about um, farmland and ranch land in this country is how quickly we're losing it. So I'm going to do a little bit of a reverse guess for you here. So I want you to get, so 50 acres of farm or ranch land is lost every, and I'm going to give you three choices, in the U.S., every hour, every day, or every week. Hour. Yeah. See? I knew that. 50 acres. And then, you know, for That's me. That's pretty serious, man. Yep. That is from well, American. And you know what? We don't need any more strip malls. So what are they pulling these farms out for? It's mostly due to kind of a sprawl yeah. and development. And strip malls. Think about how many subways and how many, you know, Burger Kings. How many more do we need? Well, one of the things that that question always brings up for me is like, what is an acre? How big is an acre? 200 by 200. So in a... So you say that, and it still doesn't mean anything to me. 200 feet by 200 feet. An acre is about a third of a football field. Okay. So that's 100 yards. So that's 300 feet. So 300 feet, and it's not 300 feet wide. So I'm right on. Yeah. 200 feet by 200. You know, like when you see a plot of land in the city, your plot would be 100 by 100. That's a nice plot in, in Brooklyn. Like in New Jersey or in Long Island, a, ha, a, a plot is 100 by 100. That's a half an acre. So... You got it now? Yeah. Visually? I think so. Okay, I mean, good. for me, it's like, I'm like, anything that's like land-based, I'm like, how, how many football fields is this? Because that's a thing I can kind of, I've like walked on, I've walked around, I yeah. kind of like get it. Yeah. So if you imagine, you know, 0.75 football fields, so that's like times, 0.75 times 50... Are you kidding me? <laughs> Are you kidding me? I, I became dependent on a calculator when I graduated college. I don't know. What are you, what are you trying to get anyway, to? I'll so give you a better a, answer. That, no, but I mean, that's, I'm, I'm just saying that's a lot of football 50 fields acres. every is that hour. Oh, you're trying to figure out 50, how much 50 acres are. How many football fields is 50 acres? Oh, I see. Three quarters. I don't know. Yeah. Three, okay. So that's 37 and a half football fields. 37 and a half football fields are lost every hour no that we're doing something wrong that's no. not making any sense that's 50 it. football field three quarters of yeah because one acre is three quarters of a football right. field. well it's it's outrageous and you know it's really kind of hard to believe that if you go driving out of the city you go in the country there's lots of land available it definitely it's, seems like there's yes, lots of land and yes. that i think that is like the other thing about knowing the numbers and being armed with real information mm -hmm. is that you don't want to use your personal experience to measure. to measure and to make policy decisions. You can use it to inform those things, 
But if you're like, oh, it seems like there's a lot of farmland around where I live, like you want to have some context to that conversation. Yeah. What is a lot of farmland? How does how does that look? You know, now compared to how it looked 50 years ago. But more importantly, how is that tied to what we need? To what we need to be producing? Um, to what we need to kind of keep a healthy, kind of diverse economy? And for folks like yourself who want to have a home in a beautiful bucolic country setting how much farmland do you need for it to look the way you want it to look, which is the reason you moved there in yeah, the first place? I got to tell you, I don't care if cows live across the road from me. That'd be fine, or sheep or goats. It wouldn't bother me at all. So if you want to bring the cows in and use, use the, farm, the land for farmland, that's perfect. Just don't put another house or a Burger King there, please. Right. Well, so exactly. Um, kind of one of the other interesting figures, I think, from um, the farmland conversation um, when you when you were losing this farmland, what we're losing a lot of is something super valuable, which is topsoil. Topsoil mm. takes decades to generate. This is the top part of a piece of land that is the super rich, nutrient-dense space where you grow fruits and vegetables. So over the course of a year in the United States, we are losing currently 1.7 billion tons of topsoil. So my fun fact for you to try and guess is, how many Empire State Buildings worth of topsoil would that be? What's the number? 1.7 billion tons. So how tall is the Empire State Building? It's 102 sto- 100 stories tall. How many stories? How, how tall? Oh, you're killing me. Okay, let's say 1,500 feet tall, okay? I'll say 15 feet of floor. I have no idea. By the way, I have a good, I have a good uh, idea about how to replace the topsoil. Yeah. You just compost your food and make compost and throw it on top of the, the soil and just keep replenishing from the top down. So all we have to do is compost nationally. Won't that help? I think it, it, it definitely won't hurt. It's 1,200 Empire State Buildings worth of topsoil. Well, I can't visualize that. Can you visualize that? I don't know. That one's a wild one. Okay. Just compost. That'd be great. I would love to compost just like down the corner from me. Everybody collects it and throws it in the farm. That's perfect. I'm up. I'm game for that. You're game for that. Yes. Uh, this still doesn't solve the like loss of farmland problem, but definitely helps with the soil replacement. Yes. Um, moving along uh, into the farm bill. So this was an interesting thing. Um, you know, every couple of years, every five years to be precise, uh, we are up for a new farm bill. And it's something in the food community that you're hearing more and more about with each passing year, uh, what it means, what it impacts, what it affects. Um, the farm bill is a f- you know, it's an allocation of uh, the the annual budget of the United States government of four hundred and eighty nine billion dollars over the course of five years. Are those the subsidies you're talking about? So, what's in the farm bill? It's a great question. Um, what do you think is in the farm bill? I think it's mostly the subsidies that they pay farmers to grow or not grow certain certain uh, products. That's yeah. what I thought too. But eighty percent of the farm bill is part of the nutrition assistance program and what is that food stamps it's food stamps it's food for uh, young mothers um young pregnant women Mm -hmm. all all of those types Mm -hmm. of program that makes up about 80 percent of the farm bill okay which kind of makes me wonder if it should be called something else well call it what you want but um yeah that's an important part program in our country i think that's a great thing that we do we support the poor people who can't feed themselves so and we have plenty of food um so why not? I think not? it's a great thing we're trying to do. I think there's still a huge number of people who are food insecure in this country. And I think as a national identity, to me, it is completely outrageous that in the United States of America, we have kids, right. kids, one in six kids in this country are food insecure at some point over the course of a year. One in six. That's yeah. bananas. Yeah, I, I agree. It's very sad in this country because we're the richest country, especially when it comes to agriculture. But uh, there are some really good, not good, bad reasons why these kids are not are going to bed hungry. And it's not because they don't have, their parents don't, it's not always the parents don't have the uh, food stamps. It's other reasons. So Yeah, what's well, a complicated issue. So yeah. um, other kind of primary components of the farm bill, um, 8% of the bill is allocated to crop insurance. So crop insurance is mm-hmm. if there's a kind of horrible like Flood, natural right, event right. and you're a farmer where your entire annual income mm-hmm. is dependent right. on harvest from you know one crop or, or one thing one time a year that you have um, some type of insurance right. 
so that you don't your business your business doesn't go completely under. It's the same thing as flood insurance. The government provides flood insurance to homeowners and businesses, and so they f- provide f- uh, farm insurance in case there's an uh, an, un- an unnatural. Uh, Catastrophe an or un- natural, a cat- natural cat- catastrophe, natural potentially catastrophe. an unnatural. Six yeah. percent um, is allocated towards conver- conservation, which I don't, I don't really know anything about what's included in there. So ex- excited to explore that. And five um, percent of it is allocated to subsidies for commodity crops. And I bet no subsidies go to small farmers. None. They all go to those big guys. I think it's a very small percentage go to fruit and vegetable farmers. Small ones. But I don't know about size, which is something that yeah. we're going to get to tuck into throughout the year, uh, throughout throughout the season. So just, just to give you a sense of like when we're talking about the farm bill, some things that I thought were surprising as we start to break it down, as we start to tuck into it, we get a, a little bit broad, better sense of like what's included, what's not included. By the way, how much was that farm bill for 20? Over five years, it's $489 billion. So five years for, for so five hundred million dollars, five hundred billion dollars. Uh, I believe it's the four hundred eighty-nine billion dollar amount over five years. So about a billion dollars a year. Correct. Yeah. No, a hundred billion dollars a year. Yeah, hundred billion. Yes. Yes, a hundred billion dollars. See a again, year. that's why it's good to have an expert in. A hundred billion. So five percent of a hundred billion is still a massive amount of money. Yes, massive amount of money. Um, but not when you compare it to. The budget of our government over the course of one year. Well, you mean the total budget? The total budget. Yeah. Well, we got to pay. We got to pay for uh, guns and uh, and and bayonets and missiles. Well, and any guess on what the annual U.S. budget is for a for a year? The total annual budget. Oh my God! I'll say I'm guessing fifty trillion dollars. Three point eight trillion. Oh, I wasn't even close. Which breaks down to twelve thousand dollars per person. Yeah. Right. The Okay, that's nice. So if we all send in a check, we don't have to pay any taxes. We could just send in one check a year. Yeah, right. For $12,000. Well, yeah. yeah, if we wanted to do kind of more of a flat tax rate, yeah. I think maybe. Yeah. But Good I don't think that. we want to do that. No, we're not. That's not happening. <laughs> um, all right. Well, the last topic um, that we're going to be covering um, over the course of this season, we're looking at feeding the world. Um, mm. Like I said uh, just before the break, this is a phrase you cannot avoid. It's getting thrown at us from all sides with a great sense of worry and urgency around, um, you know, we're going to have 9 billion people on the planet by 2050. How are we going to feed them all? Which made me kind of wonder how many people are on the planet right now. And I'm going to, I'm going to pass this to Joanne because this number is so big. I don't know how to read it. Um, hundreds, thousands, millions, 7.2 trillion people. Billion. Trillion. Hundreds. Billion? Billion. Billion. Sorry. <laughs> Hundreds, See, thousands, when the numbers millions, are that billions. big, it gets hard. Yes, no kidding. Um, that's why I She's passed right. along. 7.2 like, billion people. And it's going to grow to 9 billion. Yeah. I, 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 is that outrageous growth? I don't know. What did it grow the last century? That's, well, a, that's a good question. And it's a question we're going to answer later in the mm. series. I also, just for fun, looked at how, what's the current yeah. population of the U.S. Yeah, no, I know. I, I thought it was 350 million. It's 321. So her, her sheet says 321 million. Um, what I would totally recommend folks doing is checking out this um, website. It's the U.S. U.S. Census Bureau does a current population count, and mm-hmm. you can literally go on and mm-hmm. you can watch the ticker go up mm-hmm. as people are born in the world. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating because, you know, in the U.S., there's one birth every eight seconds. Um, there's one death every 13 seconds. There's one international migrant uh, every 32 seconds. I don't really know what that means. We'll have to come back to that. So again, essentially what you get is a net gain of one person every 12 seconds. What's interesting to me, because I'm a numbers girl, uh, in case people don't know, you know China's number one with 1.3 billion people, and India's right behind with 1.2 people, and then it drops off precipitously down to the U.S. We're number three, and we have 320 million. So they have four over four times as many people as we do, and we're number three. Very interesting. We're not even gonna, ever going to catch them. Got to watch those folks. 
so they don't proliferate too fast. <laughs> well, so, of course, when you're thinking about feeding the world, the other question that comes up for me is, well, how much do we, like, really need to eat in a day? Like, what is the recommended calorie consumption, and, and, and how do we think about that? And, you know, kind of poking around, you get kind of different facts and figures, um, depending on where in the world you're looking at. Um, in the U.S., for a, a woman, you know, kind of in the range of, like, Joanne to me, um, somewhere between 1,800 and 2,200 calories right. a day. I got that. Um, so what I was curious about is what is kind of, like, the current averages of calorie consumption. So this is looking at males and females in the world. Um, hmm. So what do you think, over the course of the world, is the average daily calorie consumption? What is individually what people average eat? Yep. So we we eat around two thousand. We're supposed to eat two thousand calories for and women. men. Or so are we just asking for women? No, this is men and women to combine. Yeah. What do the the worldwide average calorie that they eat? I would say eighteen hundred calories. Fifteen hundred to eighteen hundred. Twenty eight hundred. Wow, that is the world average. And what's interesting? So this is another website that you have to check out. It's so interesting. Uh, it's via National Geographic. It's called What the World Eats, and you can look at a breakdown of different um, countries around the world, the number of calories they consume, and the breakdown. So I, just for kind of argument's sake, took a peek at the U.S., Somalia, and China. Um, So I was comparing the total average number of calories, and then looking at a breakdown. So as we move from um, grains to meats to sugars and fats, how the U.S. is stacking up against some other parts of the world. So... Kind of interesting. In the U.S., the average, you want to take a guess here? Well, how many calories do we actually eat? We're supposed to eat 2,000. How many do we actually eat? Yeah. and Probably 4,000. Close. 3,600. Mm-hmm. 3,600 is the average daily calorie yeah, consumption here in the U.S. Yeah, that's why most of them are fat. Um, tw- uh, so here in the U.S., around 22% of those calories are coming from grain. 13% are coming from meat. And 37% are coming from sugars or fat. Sure. Processed foods. Um, what does Michael Pollan said? Eat, eat, eat food your grandma would recognize. No, he says something about eat, eat something, and then uh, eat a lot of plants and ve- plants. Oh, what? eat meat, not too much. Right. Eat, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, okay. So then let's let's compare this to Somalia. Somalia, where they're skinny, they're undernourished. So take a guess at average calorie consumption. I, I'm telling you, I think they eat 1,500 calories. Close, 1,695. Right. So they're hungry. You know, less than half. Right. If you're Somali, on an average day, you eat less than half of what and an they average eat American. A lot of rice and some vegetables. So 38% grain compared yeah. to the U.S., which is 22. Mm-hmm. 25% sugars and fats mm-hmm. compared to 37, which mm-hmm. is higher than I would have expected. Palm oil. And 7% meat. Yeah. What about vegetables? Um, I didn't write those oh, figures down. Okay. Um, but you can find them by visiting that, that National Geographic mm. site. The last country I looked at was China. Um, so an interesting thing about China, in the last 50 years, the average daily calorie consumption in China has doubled. Right. Any it's, guess there? Yeah, because they made, they're making more money. The, more, uh, the richer the country, the fatter they become, unfortunately. They eat more... Uh, luxury foods or whatever that is, whatever that's called. So thoughts on how many calories the average the Chinese, Chinese person eats a day? I'll say, I don't know, 2,500. 3,073. That's what my next guess was, 3,000. Yeah, I was I was surprised by this. Um, 40% of those calories are coming from grain, so almost double the amount of grains that well, the U.S. They eat the rice yeah. is eating. Yeah. Um, 11% of sugar is coming from sugar and fat, so less than a third yeah. of fat and sugar compared to the U.S. And 17% meat, Yeah, so as they, get richer, meat. as they get richer, they eat more meat. That's a common thing that happens. The other thing is uh, the Chinese are eat about two times the amount of produce of the amar- average sure. American. Sure. So just some kind of like baseline things to kind of get us thinking. When people are talking about feeding the world, you can see very quickly here that if we're what numbers we're using to, to generate that and how we're thinking about that matter a lot. Are we using a, a world average? And and if we're using a world average, does that mean that we're happy with the amount of that that we're happy with the way that food consumption is distributed across the planet? I mean, is it correct 
that the U.S. is eating 3,600 calories per person. And if you're Somali, you're eating 1,600, 1,700 calories per person. Um, you know, what, when they, you know, what is the kind of like right amount and how do we think about it? And then you have to turn and look at the percentage of types of food. Um, cause you're thinking about it from an agriculture standpoint, when you're thinking about grains, when you're thinking about meats, when you're thinking about sugars and fats, producing those things requires very different infrastructure, very different land mass techniques, uh, water usage. So very quickly you get into an interesting space of what's counting here, what's not counting and and where did that number even come from, which is something that I hope we're going to find out mm. this fall. Mm-hmm. So lots of area. We are a little bit over time. Um, thank you in the booth there for not cutting us off. Um, we're going to wrap it up here on the Farm Report. Stay tuned. We have a great season up for you. I want to give a big shout out to everyone who helped produce the show today. And most importantly, to my guest, Joanne. Thank you. Uh, looking forward to having you back on ba- back on throughout the season. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Andrew Newman also. <laughs> Nobody knows what that means, Jack. He does. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to get him to tune in. Secret message. Secret message. Mm-hmm. Um, Want to give a big thanks to Liz Smith, who is my engineer in the booth today. Uh, the break music that you guys heard and got to enjoy, like I did during the break, was called "The Landing." My theme song is done by Obesity. The sponsor today, of course, was Escape Maker. Definitely check them out, escapemaker.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, If you like this show, it really helps. If you subscribe on iTunes, if you leave us a review, um, hopefully it's a five-star review. Um, But we'll take other reviews, too. Or, you know, shoot us a line on Twitter. I am Aaron underscore Fairbanks. Uh, We are Heritage underscore Radio. Would love to hear from you. Um, would love to get your thoughts on today's show and would love to get some questions. What are the facts and figures that you're looking to have to help you in your conversations with your crazy uncle who's always talking down your lifestyle and point of view? We want to arm you. Um, stay tuned. Uh, at the end of the show, you're going to get a short clip from Tom Colicchio. Uh, it's part of our evolutionary series. Highly recommend it. Visit the website, Network. Dot org for the full episode and uh, enjoy this little treat we're going to leave for you at the end of the show. Thanks so much for listening. Stay tuned in. Even though we may see him on our screens all the time, chef and top chef host Tom Colicchio explains how he actually spends little time working in television in episode four of Evolutionaries. I think the big misconception is that I spend most of my time on TV. You know, when, when, you, when it airs, it airs over several months. It takes us five weeks really to shoot the whole thing. We shoot it takes two days to shoot an episode. We don't stop. We don't get weekends off. We just blow right through it. And then we go back later and do the finale a couple months later. So a total maybe six weeks out of the year. And now that we're doing one a year, that's it. And during that time, I work every other day. Even though it takes two days to shoot an episode, I don't do the quick fires for the most part. So it's pretty easy for me to do. And uh, so I don't spend a lot of my time on it. If you want to hear what Tom Colicchio does with the rest of his year... Go listen to the full episode on Heritage Radio Network and on iTunes. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 